0: Hello and welcome to the Swift Coders podcast, where each week we interview an amazing Swift developer about their experience with Apple's new open source programming language. We hear their stories, learn their tips and tricks, and try to leave you feeling inspired and empowered on your Swift Coder journey. I'm your host, Garrick, and today's guest is Joe Mazzalotti. Joe is the lead developer for Beer Menus, which helps their users find great beer, and he's really passionate about test-driven development. Welcome to the show, Joe.
1: Hey, how's it going? Thanks for having hey, me. My pleasure. How are you doing? I'm doing great. Just uh surviving this heat wave in New York right now, but we'll get through. Oh, is it
0: really hot out there? <laughs>
1: it's really brutal.
0: Oh man, yeah. It was uh it was hot last night here. It kind of cooled off over the last like week or so, and then before that it was like super hot. Yeah. And we live in we live in like an old house and <laughs> we have like this like window AC that's like probably from the 80s yeah. or something. <laughs> Anyways, yeah. But you know not too bad right the what do they call those first world complaints or yeah whatever? seriously it's just yeah. not perfect yeah. <laughs> so i've been to new york a couple times actually i just interviewed somebody too that like lives in new york who did i interview hmm. i can't remember oh ash Furrow. so like oh, he, okay, he, yeah. he says he lives in like greenwich village or yeah. something like that and yeah, i was yeah. like i was like imagining wow that's cool like you're a soft, software developer in new york like mm-hmm. do you live in like manhattan manhattan like central new york area i'm in or- brooklyn Oh, you so, <laughs> live in
1: You live in Williamsburg. No, no, not Williamsburg. Um, uh, area south of Williamsburg called cool. uh, Park Slope. But I used to live in Williamsburg.
0: Nice until when. it got until it got too cool. Like hipsters moved in. I like, are <laughs> totally, like, like ah, this is just
1: yeah, couldn't couldn't it. take it anymore. <laughs>
0: <laughs> so what's that like living in New York and being a software developer?
1: I'd say the one of the best parts about it is there's just so many meetups. Like oh, right on. every week I could go to a testing meetup or a Swift meetup or just iOS or programming in general. And it's just great because there's so many people to meet here. There's so many great developers and, you know, getting one, talking with them and like learning new things is, is so easy when there's that many people around you.
0: So if I go to New York, what are the meetups I should go to? What are like the big Swift or iOS
1: meetups? There's um, every week the CocoaPods team does like a you know, bring your laptop and, like, hack on things with everyone. I forget the exact name of it, but it's at, uh, I think, Ash actually helps host that. Um, there's also some other stuff during the week. Like, there's a Brooklyn Swift meetup on Wednesdays, and then there's an iOS meetup on Mondays, also in Manhattan. It's, it's really great. That's rad. So, wait, CocoaPods is in New York? Yeah. Oh, I didn't know that. So, like, the,
0: like the actual reporters yeah, or something?
1: They're, um, it's mostly, like, the Artsy team. Oh, okay. So yeah, like how does that work? Because CocoaPods is it's like an open source thing, mm-hmm. or yeah, so they're it's... they're sponsored, I believe, by Artsy and a number, another of um, a number of other companies that help, like you know, sponsor development effort. But um, wow. I think it's like Ash and Orta, uh, also from Artsy, are all are big contributors and like the leaders of that with a bunch wow. of other people. I wonder
0: what's gonna happen with that, like if the Swift package manager get, like really gets popular. I wonder
1: like, yeah, Ugh. there's definitely, in, there's definitely inspiration and integration between the two. Like CocoaPods can do some things with Swift package manager, but that's a little bit out of my realm of expertise. And I just kind of use CocoaPods as is right now.
0: Right, right. Yeah. I just started um, creating my own CocoaPod. Oh, cool. Uh, like, you know, like the, there's this script pod lib create, it makes mm-hmm. it super easy. So, um, yeah, I did that for the first time. Like, we're going to start building libraries that might work. And uh, that was really cool. I think they did a good job. Um,
1: and, yeah, the, you know, I wa- Sorry, go ahead. The tools are just top-notch. I, it's amazing using those things.
0: Yeah, there was, like, a couple hiccups, but I think that was more on our end because, like, we weren't <laughs> we weren't using GitHub. We were you know, oh. using, like, a private GitLab. And Interesting. So, yeah, and so I think it was more on our, our end, but it was, like, yeah, really... They made it really easy. It was yeah. Like awesome. Yeah. Definitely. So that was really fun. And then using Jazzy to like then generate docs, it's like. <laughs> yeah, I saw your uh, tweet
1: about that. That sounds
0: really cool. Yeah. Yeah. I thought Jazzy like actually gave you the template mm-hmm. for the documentation in your code, like in your implementation files. Mm-hmm. Like kind of like when you create a UI, um, um, whatever UI Kit subclass, it'll give you like the, some code commented out. Yeah. Like if you want to use this, uncomment this. I thought that's what Jazzy did, but Jazzy actually like, runs a script through your files, and generates, like, HTML, like, almost, I don't know if you've used it before, but basically, like, it creates almost like a website for you. It, like, scrapes your files and, like, gets
1: the documentation. Anyways, it was really cool. So, have you used Jazzy before? I haven't. I've, uh, the new Xcode beta, like, beta 5 or something right now, has a keyboard shortcut to, like, insert documentation, Right. So I feel like those two would go really well together.
0: Yeah, okay. So that will generate like the template, like the markdown sort of template for you to write your comments in that, like fill in the blank sort of. Mm. Then you then you run Jazzy and that will give you like a a website that looks exactly like the Apple docs. Oh, very cool. Yeah, it's really cool. Very anyway, cool. so that's a little bit of a realms Jazzy, so <laughs> All right, so more about you, Joe. What are you doing right now? You're in New York. you work for beer menus mm-hmm. what is what's that like? What is beer menus and what do you do? Yeah. Like? you're the lead developer? what's that like what do, you do yeah
1: so we're we're really small. We're less than ten people right now. so it's the only real uh, full time developers are a couple a very small group of us that are like working on everything. so a lot of my development is split between iOS development. We're releasing our Android app really soon, and uh our web stack is Rails. So anytime the iOS app needs s- like a back end, you know, like a service le- service or something, it's up to me to create those layer those Rails components, but also just straight front-end Rails development for new features and stuff.
0: So in terms of products, Beer mm-hmm. Menus, it sounds like has an iOS app, mm-hmm. an Android app that's about to be launched, mm-hmm. and then consumer facing that's it or is there a web platform too there's a a,
1: website yeah there's a a website which is just beermenus.com, but it's desktop uh, mobile also and that is where we actually surface all of our our beer data you know where you want to find beer in your neighborhood what's on tap at certain bars and all of the tools for the back end of all the actual owners of the businesses to update their menu and say what's new and stuff like that
0: Okay. So, so run us through like a basic example. It sounds like you have, um, an owner operator or something. They have beer, they Mm -hmm. maybe put it up on the website and then you have like the users that want to find that beer. Can you kind of run us through that sort of whole flow?
1: Yeah, sure. So let's start with, um, the drinker, the, you know, the user, the consumer here, they open, let's say the iPhone app, they search for a bar nearby, they see what's on the menu, but they like, they can follow that place and get push notifications. So, then when the actual owner of that bar goes in and adds a new beer to their menu through the back end website, the, the drinker will actually like receive a push notification that says like, oh, that new Grim beer that everyone wants. We have it on tap. So you should come by and have some.
0: OK, cool. So then that means the web the website is mostly like a CRM sort of type of thing, I guess, or a, a CMS.
1: Yeah, right? For yeah. The, the owner. What the owner sees is very much a, a CMS. OK, cool you know like a a list of their beers what menu they're on what their flavors are with you know some sort of autocomplete thing to add new beers and then the the desktop experience for the drinkers is very similar to the app it's you know what's what's nearby what's on tap what's selling in the beer stores near me stuff like that
0: so in terms of the content management system did you did you guys build that yourselves or did you sort of use i'm sure there's like a lot of like kind of plugins
1: Yeah, it's, um, the crazy part about this site is that it was originally created with Rails 1. Okay, is that
0: really old, or uh, I'm not too familiar with Rails, so. Yeah,
1: I mean, it's, when it started, I mean, this thing is going on five, six years or something like that, and it's still the same code base, which is pretty awesome, and we've taken it, that was before I joined, but, um, the team has taken it from, like, the Rails betas all the way now up to Rails 4 and Rails 5 soon, so we've gone through the transitions of all of these you know upgrades and migrations and stuff so we've built a lot of stuff on our own like the whole content management system is built on our own okay
0: cool so what is but what's like the actual back end is that also in rails or have you been have you been like playing around with swift at all like thinking about that or is it just like purely because i know there's like lots of different back end stuff there's like node.js and like rails (laughs) and all this python and stuff like that like so is that so, the, so the, the CMS is built with Rails, but I'm assuming like HTML and, mm-hmm. and like CSS and stuff like that. I, I don't know too yeah, much no. about web development, <laughs> but then like the back end is built in Rails? Is that what you're saying?
1: Yeah, so the whole, the whole website is, you know, Ruby on Rails, HTML, CSS, and JavaScript. Oh, okay. So there's no, th- no Swift on the server just yet, but no, uh, no Node.js or like Python or anything else. It's a pretty classic um, Ruby on Rails stack.
0: So you, you can do all that. You help manage all that or you do yeah. manage all that? Wow. Yeah. Okay. And you do iOS.
1: Yeah, mo- primarily iOS. Wow, that's so cool. So when did the iOS app launch? Um, hmm. Probably about a year and a little over a year now, I'd say.
0: Oh, okay. And were so you were you there like from the beginning of that like building the app?
1: Yeah, so before I even joined Beer Menus, I was helping them build the iPhone app like on the side, which okay. was really exciting. And then I joined, we launched the app a couple of months later, and I've been with, with them full time. That's awesome. So it's, so is it, sorry, go ahead. Yeah, it's kind of, it's kind of my baby. It's been nice. my my app. Um, I'm like the only committer still on the oh iOS wow. app, which is kind of crazy. But the the Rails app is definitely just um, still like doing more and more of that, but much less than iOS. Is the iOS app in Swift? 100% nice and the only reason that is because it's 100% in swift is we wrote the whole thing in objective c this was a year and a half ago i guess and or maybe 2 years ago now i guess and like swift really wasn't the right choice at least we did, we didn't think and some things changed some things happened swift 2 hit a milestone and we were like you know what i think it makes sense we've changed so much of our infrastructure at this point let's just rewrite the whole thing. We'll take the couple months, you know, downtime of no new features, no bug fixes. And it has just been so smooth from then on, like way less bug reports, way less customer complaints about slowness, like crazy things that obviously aren't 100% Swift, but the rewrite in Swift helped dramatically. Wow, that's awesome. Yeah, really, really cool.
0: Okay, so I want to learn a little bit about you. We talked about beer menus and what that's like, but I actually want to learn about you, Joe. Like, How did you get to where you are? So you're yeah. in New York. Were you born in New York?
1: I was born in New York, um, like a little upstate of New York City, So, but New York State, definitely.
0: So, but did you grow up in New York? Cuz I thought people in New York had like really thick New York accents.
1: <laughs> I grew up I grew up in what people from New York would call upstate.
0: <laughs> oh, okay. So like outside of the city where exactly. all the where all the accents come from. <laughs> yeah. Okay, cool. So, when did you start programming?
1: I started programming in college. I had to be I guess like freshman year of college, you know, my first programming class. But when I really got into what I considered like real programming was my senior year. I built an Android app just because well, like at that time, iPhone, you couldn't really do an iPhone app without getting a Mac with, you know, the developer license and like going through all those hurdles and stuff. And I didn't know objective C. So I was like, you know what? I know Java. Let's do it in. Let's do Android. Why not? Right.
0: So my, what is actually because like, I'm kind of surprised because I think saying that, your senior year of college, right? Is that what you were talking mm-hmm. about? Yeah. You built an Android app. I feel like kind of dates you, right? <laughs> and honestly, like, given what I've seen about you online, I thought that you were just, like, older. I don't know. You just seem so experienced. Like, <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> I want to talk about it a little later, like, all this testing stuff. Um, yeah. yeah, I don't know why. I just assumed you were, like, I don't know, you've been programming for, like, 20, 30 years no, or something like no. that. No, no. Um, not, not, I mean, I've never seen you before and we never talked before. So it's like, that doesn't give, you know, that didn't make me think that it was just more like the content I see from you. Well, it like, seems you. like, a, yeah, yeah. Okay. Sorry. Continue.
1: Yeah. Um, so this was senior year of uh, college 2010 and 2010. Yeah. 2010. And I was like, you know what doesn't exist right now. When I go to a bar in college, I don't know how much alcohol is in the beers I'm drinking. So what's an obvious way to fix that? Make an app that just lists all the beers and how much alcohol they have. So I did that and gave it to all my friends and then put it in the Google Play Store, whatever the Android app store was called then. And um, that kind of kicked off everything. That was the spark. Where
0: did you get the data from?
1: I scraped the data. Nice. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Was, I won't say it? where from, but I, I did okay. I did copy and paste some data from places that probably wouldn't be too happy about it.
0: Okay. And so <laughs> you you got all this data, you compiled it, and so when you'd go to a bar and um, you'd be like, I, I'll have the whatever Firestone mm-hmm. IPA or whatever's yeah. big in like in New York, you would just be able to reference your application, which would say like the alcohol alcohol content. Totally. That's all. Okay. It did. So it was, it was like a reference. Yeah. Exactly. Okay. Cool. So then what happened?
1: So, that was college. Um, worked on that for a little while after college and everything. Went to a big bank for a couple of years and worked as a, a programmer. I guess technically I was a business analyst by okay. title, but it was like half programming, half other like you know businessy stuff that wasn't totally my interest. Did you graduate with a CS degree? I graduated with a information systems engineering.
0: Interesting.
1: So technically, that sh- I should be like managing a production plant. And making sure that everything is working up to speed, like in terms of optimization. Interesting. So like big wow. algorithms, you know, figuring out where to lay out things in a factory, like really, really cool oh my simulation see, stuff.
0: Yeah. Did you see the Gigafactory like announcement? Um, yeah. Oh, my God. <laughs> like about how they optimized every little inch. Absurd. Of, Absurd. Yeah, okay. So that's something you might be doing.
1: That's like, a, that's like a picturesque example of the jobs that that degree is supposed to get. Wow.
0: Okay. So then how did you end up not doing that?
1: I interned at this bank for the years um, in between my years in college as like a summer intern and kind of just like, all well, so I have the job, I'll fall into it, I'll see how it works. Pretty quickly realized it wasn't for me. Like I want, I realized about a year in I wanted to do programming full time and I wasn't. So I got into iOS development on the side. Yeah.
0: What do you think it was like at that time you were interning at this bank uh-huh. you doing what your degree sort of told you? It sounds yeah, like you were supposed to do. You were maybe playing with programming on the side. Like what was going on through your head? Yeah. Like why did you and at some at some point you sort of made a jump. Like what was going on through your head and how did you yeah. make that jump? Because I feel like there's a lot of people out there, myself included, <laughs> um, at least, you know, um, two years ago that are maybe in that position right now and they're listening to this podcast because they're exploring the the possibility Mm -hmm. of going from what they're doing now to becoming an iOS developer like Mm -hmm. what was going on in your head at the time
1: so I think the biggest driving factor for me was I was building products that like the world wasn't seeing I was building internal reporting tools which were very technically challenging and very great to look at and you know great UX awesome to use but I could never actually say to my friend, like, hey, go to this website and check out this app that I built. You know, everything was private and internal to the company. Yeah. And it just wasn't, that's not what I wanted. I wanted to show people. I wanted to kind of brag and say, like, look what I've been building. Isn't this awesome? Like, what what could be better? Tell me your, give me your feedback. And that just was totally missing from working in a bank. Right. And, okay. And I was just like, you know what? Right now is really exciting. Like, I have an iPhone. I don't really love web development. I wonder what would happen if I started to learn Objective C. Like I wonder how hard it is to build an app, right? Not not with no real expectations of how hard or easy it would be. So, I bought a book on I think C actually, <laughs> So I was <laughs> like, well, like I need to know C first, right? Cuz it's Objective C, shows how oh, much I knew. Wow. <laughs> Went through like, oh man, the first half of the book and was like this is insane. I do not want to learn C. And got myself an Objective-C book, worked my way up to like an iOS programming book. And if I had look, if I look back on that now, I I did not need to read the C or the Objective-C book. So many, uh, you know, iOS SDK type books or learn, build your first iPhone app books are centered around the first time programmer that you don't really need to know the C and Objective-C stuff directly. Right. And now with Swift, it's like almost, it's, it's even more moot, you know? Right.
0: Yeah, so, so when I, sorry, go
1: ahead. I had, no, so I, I continued with that. I decided I was going to make a, an app to, on my spare time. I figured that would be a great test of if I like this, if I could do it full time.
0: And you were still interning.
1: No, this is now, sorry, two years out of college. So I was working full time. Okay. For the bank. At that bank, okay. Yeah, bu- building these apps, the internal apps, not really loving it so much, but exploring other options and building an app on the side ended up being like the calling that I was looking for this whole time. So
0: what do you think it was? Um, you, you were working on an app in your spare time. You built something. What did you build?
1: <laughs> so I built an app that's centered I- around uh, eating pizza in New York City. Okay. <laughs> so in New York City, there's a lot of places that do $1 slice pie- slices of pizza. Nice. So I was like, well, no one really knows where all of them are, and no one has rated them. So I'll create an app entirely centered around that and see how it does. What'd you call it? Uh, Cheatza, like cheap pizza portmanteau. <laughs> nice. <laughs> how was- did it go? <laughs> it was a blast to make. My girlfriend and I did all of like the design, the data collection, I did the programming for it and we just had a blast with it. We we took off a day of work when we launched and like had champagne when we got approved in the App Store. It was it was just so fun and amazing. Um the app itself didn't do that great though, unfortunately. <laughs> I wonder why. I don't know. I think it was I mean like at that time I wasn't doing we were doing any marketing for it. It was pretty much spread by word of mouth and I don't know if we had even a website to support it. It was like the only way you could find it is through the app store, right? which nowadays really just does not work. right? You, you, unless you're having something very viral, that just doesn't work out. Okay, so you make this
0: application. Mm-hmm. Um, it, maybe it doesn't go viral, <laughs> but whatever. You had a really good time doing it. So then you decide at that moment, or, or what, that you're going to do this full time, or what happens?
1: Yeah, I think right around then I said to myself, this is what I want to do. Like I, If I can get this feeling, like this excited from building a little app on the side, what is this going to be like if I do this all the time and I'm releasing apps left and right or I'm upgrading, refining and making this one app just like the absolute perfect thing in the app store that people love? And I started dedicating more and more time of actually learning iOS, learning the SDK, figuring out new technologies to incorporate into the app so I would you know learn by doing essentially and and that was just it was the perfect motivation it, like i i could figure out oh i don't really know networking stack that the networking stack that well let's move all the data to the server let's figure out how i can you know download this list of content and upload it into the app or something and that just kept building and building and building until i realized that i could potentially interview somewhere so i did
0: So, did you quit your job uh, once you (laughs) got a new job, or how did that that
1: work? Yeah, I I waited until I got a job before I quit. I I never dedicated, like, a full-time commitment to doing iOS until it was my job, so to speak.
0: Okay, so what did you, like, what was the first job that you got?
1: My first job doing iOS full-time was at Pivotal Labs. Okay. So, they're a full stack, uh, product development firm that is really into test driven development and pair programming. And the main idea is that a company comes in or someone comes in with a great idea and we, we help you build that app together.
0: How did you get that job?
1: So that was, I found it on a stack overflow post, which was pretty cool and kind of just went in and, um, and took the first interview. It was, they're, they're very open to Oh, what's the right word? Non traditional? <laughs> no. Um Polygot, I guess, programmers. Oh, okay. So right, right. people that because know backend and you know and the iOS. And I had a little bit of web experience from the bank job and I was learning iOS and really excited about it. So I think I f- I was I fit a really good niche there at the time.
0: Right, because with like extreme programming, you sort of you pick up whatever story is next, and it can be in one platform or one. Is exactly. that right? Or, exactly. or you can be on one client, which is like an iOS app for one month, and then maybe the team scales up or scales down, and you're on like a Rails project the next week or something like yeah,
1: that. Yeah, both those things happened all the time.
0: Yeah, so we have a Pivotal in LA, and then I also worked um, out of Carbon 5 with farmers for like a month. Okay. So I'm like a little bit familiar with that cool. um, type of uh, extreme programming process, which I think Carbon 5 and Pivotal kind of share. Mm-hmm. That was so much fun, man. What was that like working there?
1: I learned so much so quickly working there. Yeah. I, like pair programming, I still hold it um, up there as like the best way to learn anything about programming. If you want to learn how to write good Swift code, better Swift code, pair with someone who knows even the tiniest about, bit about Swift. If you want to learn how to do test-driven development, pair with someone who kind of knows test-driven development. Even if you can't find someone who's, who knows th- a language or a feature really well, and two people are just going at it, learning together. You still learn so much more because you're just always bouncing these ideas off each other. You're always complimenting each other's ideas and questions, and and you know, really harnessing like double energy almost. And I always say like I learned more in the interview at Pivotal Labs than I learned in like my last two weeks of work, wow. which is just insane.
0: Yeah, I really enjoyed pair programming. I didn't think about it, um, kind of how you said it just now. Like, maybe I might do some pair programming or something at my meetup or start yeah. encouraging my members to do it, like to connect one on one with each other mm-hmm. outside to pair program and learn from each other. But um, it's a, yeah, definitely a great way, especially like if someone's new to the team, they just come in, they can pair uh, with somebody who's uh, not new, right? Mm-hmm. And, mm-hmm. you know, experience with the project, and then they can just learn you know soak it all in exactly yeah, it was really good so wh- when i went to c5 and paired um i was working with somebody who it was their first ios project okay so i was teaching them about ios but they were like a little bit more familiar with the project because oh, i came in like after but the he was like a really experienced rails developer i think um and like you know he like never his hand never leaves the keyboard <laughs> like all about vim mm-hmm. and all like terminal get flow like crazy control over the computer through the terminal and like his git knowledge was insane like i don't know and i feel like that's what you learn at pivotal too um totally yeah oh man just thinking about it like i can't imagine the the type of stuff but i feel like that that stuff maybe you don't need to know at first like um you know there's so many things to learn when you're just starting out i feel like you can kind of like leave that stuff Sort of like when you went to Pivotal, did you know any of that type of thing like before? Right? Oh man, I knew. Were you doing like Git from the command line (laughs) all that?
1: Or I knew I didn't even know what Git was when I joined Pivotal. Like I literally didn't know what the word Git meant when I joined. We at at the bank we used um some crazy like micro not Microsoft but some way of doing source control through only a GUI interface where you had to do all these crazy things like check out and like check in just way, way more complicated than Git. Um, so I didn't know Git at all. And wow. the cra- like what might even be more crazy is I had it. The interview was in the morning and in the evening, right? Like a two parter. And in the evening was iOS. So I was like, okay, you know, this is what I'm, I want to do. So I should be tested. And if that makes fine, that makes a lot of sense. The whole first four hour interview was in rails. I had never written a line of Ruby in my life. Oh, wow. So being tested how to write code and pair program and test drive in a language you've never even like pretty much seen before is quite the eye opening experience. Wow! And it just so you- yeah. No, go ahead. It just goes to show that like if a company is really looking for a polyglot, it's more about how you can learn and how quickly you can learn, and not what you know when you come in. Like language, right. it's not the language or the platform. It's how quickly can you pick up to speed and ramp up on other things and new things?
0: Right. That's actually one thing I mentioned um, on, like, what I think it means to be a good iOS developer. Like, one of the skills, besides, like, knowing these, like, five pillars that I talk about, I also talk about just one skill, which is being able to learn, like, the ability to learn. Um, and, And so, obviously, that goes with probably anything, but iOS, for sure, like, your ability to learn and like learn something new, mm-hmm. and like be patient and learn that thing is like, it's so key because totally. nobody knows everything, right? But when you need to know it, if you can figure it out, you know, then you, uh, then that, that's like a good skill to have.
1: Oh, yeah, I couldn't agree more.
0: Right on. Okay, so what else did you learn at Pivotal? Because I know you're like really big into testing. So my guess is that's probably where you learned all that, or did you do any testing before?
1: I did not do any testing before I joined Pivotal. That was where I've learned most of what I still know now. You know, like that, that was where I really developed a passion for it. That's where I learned what test-driven development really is. That's where I learned what a good test even means. Like pretty much everything about testing that's general sense, I've learned from my time at Pivotal.
0: So same with me. I started testing uh, once I started working at Farmers. And, mm-hmm. you know, I learned through C5 about test-driven development. Um, so for those of you that might not know... Like, when you start to go, let's say, build your app, um, at some point, maybe you'll build, like, a little bit first, like, your actual implementation. But at some point, and maybe not, maybe some people, the first thing you're going to write is a test. But at some point, you're going to write, like, a unit test, which is, um, it's, it's code that says, like, your object does what it's supposed to do. So, like, um, it calculates, you know, someone's age when they enter their birth date, let's say, or I don't know, something like that. And, like, you can test that that actual piece of code is, like, is doing what it's supposed to um, so now I'm trying to, to be test driven in my personal projects. Um, do you still, do you have like personal projects on the side? I know like when you're working full time, sometimes you like, the last thing you want to do is code, <laughs> but, uh, do you do like, still do like, are you trying to implement testing in your personal projects as well? Or
1: yeah, I, I really try to always have a side project going. Uh, I feel that it, if I'm not doing what I want to do at work, let's say that day, It's a really good escape to work on what I want to work on at night or in the morning or something. But it also just, it's another thing to learn and like to work on. So when I was doing a lot of Rails at work, I really was just like dying to do more iOS. So I just did more iOS at home. You know, like I, I tried to balance it that way. But in terms of actual testing and stuff, I experiment a lot more with my projects that are my personal projects that will probably never see the light of day than I do when I'm in the office or, you know, when I'm building, quote, production code. And having that freedom to just try something new, change a lot of things, break a lot of things, maybe try a new paradigm that actually is terrible, get, having that freedom of the side project to work on, I think is really important.
0: When I first started looking into testing, this was like in late May, so before uh, this last dub dub. Okay. And I was uh, doing research on um, XC test case, and for some reason your name kept <laughs> popping up. And you know, you had like an API reference for XC test case. Mm-hmm. And my understanding is that Apple didn't even have one. Uh, is that true, or did I just not? Was I not able to find it? Because like before this last dub dub, I feel like you were the only one that had an actual reference for Apple's own. Um, framework. Is that true? That's correct. <laughs> how is that? Like, how did oh you, God. did, did you build that yourself? Or like, where did you get the information from? Because the funny thing is when I then, after dub dub, when I noticed, um, Apple had its own like framework reference, mm-hmm. it sounded very similar to yours. Yeah. So it's like, did you find those words somewhere or did they copy you or <laughs> are you just like write on? Or? No.
1: So if you always, since the beginning of XC test, the headers have been documented.
0: Oh, so you could use like quick help
1: Exactly. And I just used, I believe it's a tool called Apple Doc, like one word. And it's okay. a shell script that runs, it's available on GitHub. Um, it's a shell script that runs and generates Apple Doc looking, imp, you know, documentation for any code that you give it. So very similar to what you explained for Jazzy. Okay. But I think um, the old style of Apple Doc, right? Okay. And I was like, well, this XC test documentation doesn't exist anywhere. And I'm using it all the time. I would really love a reference, so I ran the script on Apple's public headers, uploaded it to GitHub, and like immediately people were like, "Where did you get this? This is amazing! I need to, <laughs> like, I need to know how I can get this on my machine." So I was like, "Oh well, I'll just export it as HTML instead and, ho- and self-host it." And uh-huh. that's how. I mean, if you search, if you still, if you search for like XC test case docs, I'm above Apple, which is crazy. Yeah,
0: which is I crazy. know. I know, and so that's also another reason why. I thought that you were much older. It's like, well, yeah, <laughs> duh. This guy is like obviously some testing like guru. <laughs> he has the documentation. Like, so why do you think Apple didn't have documentation? I don't understand this. I like if it was just that easy. Yeah. Oh,
1: man. Well, I, I think it's, it? it's, it's, either, it's one of two things, probably a combination of both. Um, the first one just being an oversight. Like they forgot to do it once in Xcode and they just never got around to doing it later. Because I'm sure that their tools to generate documentation – aren't as simple as just running a script, you know? There's probably okay. a whole bunch of hoops that they have to jump through or ways that Different they have standards. to... standards. Yeah, yeah, stuff like... Th- there were spelling mistakes that would never have gotten in, so it probably never went through review, stuff like that. Um, and also, I think that Apple's previous apathy towards testing... like right. w- Until, really, last WWDC, 2015, right. they hadn't updated their testing framework in in years, you know? W- until they released UI testing... They were working with a JavaScript framework that they didn't even have documentation on, let alone example code or any other, like, anything for. So, yeah. uh, man, it's, it's frustrating. I,
0: <laughs> I feel like very recently, if it was maybe 2014 or 2015, but very recently I started seeing at DubDub sessions on testing. And, like, even in maybe, like, what's, like, either Platform State of the Union or, like, What's New in Cocoa Touch maybe or something like that, like one of the more bigger ones, like, talking about testing um, I wonder maybe, and then even like this year, they mentioned dependency injection, mm-hmm. which I thought was really interesting. Um, so I wonder if maybe recently someone got hired and you know, if someone was hired or maybe they just realized. And like now that's like more emphasis on that, because from what I've heard, testing in iOS development is just like it's not really something you think about. But testing in other uh, platforms like Ruby or something like that, it's like the first thing you think about. So maybe that's like there's some movement there.
1: Yeah, I I really hope so. And I think that you touched on a really good point that just testing on iOS really isn't that prominent. You don't really see a lot of it. I I think that that's changing dramatically even over the past like year or so. And I don't know if it was WWDC that sparked it or if WWDC happened in that way because it's been sparked. You know, like which was the chicken or the egg there, but. Testing in iOS is really starting to pick up and there's, there's blogs on it now. There's, you know, there's people to follow on Twitter. It's, it's really becoming part of the culture, which I think is really important for Swift, which is still such a new language. And I I think the other side of that coin is just, it's like iOS is still new, you know, like Ruby's been around for so much longer. You look at C sharp, Java, those languages have been around forever, you know, and Objective C in terms of iOS development is still less than like a is like what a decade old a decade right. old, Swift right. is a couple years old, and st- testing just sometimes isn't the focus at the beginning. It needs to be take, cultivated,
0: and it takes a little while to like build up all the tools, mm-hmm. uh, the developer tools. How would you say we are uh, right now coming like compared to some of these other platforms like the testing tools we have? So yeah. we have X C Test Case. Uh, we're using. Uh, quick and nimble, awesome. Ryan Gesiak. I really enjoy that. Mm-hmm. I'm thinking about um, playing around with Fox um, Property Testing. I think it's by called? Jeff. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so I haven't played with that yet. Um, so, but we have Xe Test Case. We have UI automation mm-hmm. um, built in. Um, what, what, what's your feeling um, like? Yeah, do you f- I do you feel like we're doing a good job. I and mean, obviously, there's probably we could always improve. <laughs> but what's your What's your feeling?
1: I think we're getting there. I think that the the test suite, like even the runner has been is way more reliable with every Xcode version the the test runner so the Xcode I guess when it's actually running your tests I like f- in
0: the console in the like con- kind of outputs stuff
1: I guess I just mean like the f- the code that physically takes your tests and re- executes them oh, okay so i remember Xcode 4 what are we on Xcode 5 beta so like Xcode 3 i guess tests would just like blow up for no reason they would just fail uh, or they would crash because of memory leaks and stuff. And I don't know what's contributed to that, but it just feels like it's a lot tighter now, which is really, really awesome. Cool. And I, I think that the biggest, still the biggest limitation comes from lack of any sort of solid mocking in Swift.
0: Okay. So, yeah, I want to talk about this. Like, So what do you, let's describe mocking. Sure. Let's describe what solid mocking looks like in other, um, you know, other platforms. Mm-hmm. And then let's talk about like what it is, in Swift and iOS yeah. right now and like how it could be better. So go ahead and just describe what mocking sure. is.
1: Sure. So first of all, there's there's mocking, there's stubbing, there's fakes. All all those have very specific different meanings that oh, okay. I personally don't think are that important. Like okay. doing what you're doing, do what you're doing. If it works, it's fine. You don't, you don't need to know the exact name of it. So, so I, I'll use the words interchangeably when the definitions probably aren't 100% correct. That said... When you're testing something, like you said before, we're testing an age calculator, right? Okay. We want to be unit testing just the age calculator object. If the age calculator has a dependency, let's say it needs to get, for instance, the current date from some sort of other external service. Right. We don't want to be testing that that external service also works when we test the date calculator.
0: Right, because we'd have a separate test for that.
1: Exactly. And then... If the date service blows up, we, our age calculator test shouldn't also break. That's just going to be that much harder to find what actually is causing the issue.
0: Right, so, and that's why we call it like a unit, like a you exactly. know, specific unit, and you're testing that unit. Okay, sorry. Yeah,
1: you, the, the smallest unit of workable code that we can wrap around in one test.
0: So then how do we sort of get, get around that?
1: Yeah, so enter mocks, fakes, and stubs. So in this scenario, we would do something to tell our object under test, our age calculator. Don't use the real date service or the, you know, current day provider. Use this fake or this mock instead. And that means that we can structure this fake or mock any way we want. We can say, "Hey, next time you're asked for the date, return to this specific date." "Hey, next time you're asked for the date, blow up." Let's see what happens when you blow up, and we can test all of those specific scenarios based on the dependency, not just on the code... Or, sorry, on top of the code that's running. So we can, we can create all of these contrived examples that cover all of our use cases and not right. have to worry about, you know, that it's actually midnight versus 2 in the morning or something.
0: Right, and then just on a quick aside, that's why dependency injection is so important. Again, it's uh, Veronica Ray, I think, says it's best. It's like a $10 word for 5-cent concept or something like that, <laughs> but it's like really... Once you understand it, it's really cool. That's why dependency injection is so great because now, rather than your objects creating, let's say, that date service itself, you can give it that mock now because you're injecting that uh, service when you create the age calculator. Exactly. So that's uh, so so. Be aware of that. Okay. So what is what is mocking like on other platforms? Like, uh, for instance, yeah. I heard of OC mock, uh-huh. so I'm assuming there's like these other powerful frameworks for creating mocks. Is that what you're talking about? Yeah,
1: and What I really would like is something built into Swift, but that's kind of a a wish at this point. Um, OCMock creates mocks for Objective-C code, for Objective-C classes. And it does that by taking advantage of the the runtime. So like swizzling methods and doing all these crazy stuff under the hood to... What's
0: swizzling? (laughs) I keep hearing this. What is swizzling?
1: Uh, Thanks for not letting me gloss over that. (laughs) (laughs) Swizzling is a term that for some reason, Objective-C developers have just like hung on to and, and kept forever. It it really means taking the implementation of one method and substituting it with another. So oh, what does that mean in like the real world? It's like when you call into Apple's, you know, table controller code that like, you don't you normally don't have access to, you swizzle out one of those methods to make it do something else entirely interesting and if that so doesn't do scare you, you <laughs> then you know you need to think about it because you're actually ch- you can change the behavior of technically like anything in objective c code because it's all dynamically linked together
0: so do you do that by kind of like passing in a method with the same argument signature but d- a different implementation or something like that, the, how does that
1: there's um there's an a- api for it so you pretty much like give it the selector like the oh. which method you want to change and then you give it a implementation and that's oh. a, you know you wrap up your implementation in a certain object, you pass that along. You can swap them, but essentially you use this API to say ins- when this thing gets called, don't do what it normally does; do this instead.
0: And that's swizzling. That's yeah, essentially. Yeah. Okay. So why is that relevant
1: here? Because that's how OCMock uses it to to make mocks. Um, okay.
0: What does it actually do? Like, yeah. how can something generate mocks for you?
1: I don't understand. It uses that. Uh, reflection, so it actually looks and sees.
0: Like Friday reflection? <laughs> <laughs> um,
1: <laughs> I guess like reflection where the, the programming sense where it can s- like kind of like encapsulation or, you know, um, dependency injection, like one of those type of terms to see what methods and what properties exist on an object at runtime, not compile time. Okay. And it uses that reflection to create essentially to swizzle out the implementations. Okay. So... Putting those two together, what it really means is we have a our date service, right, that we were talking about. Okay. And we have a a method on it called current date, and it returns a date object. Simple, straightforward. Doesn't matter what it actually does under the hood. Swizzling would say, okay, next time current date is called, return this date instead that I'm gonna give you over here. Okay. Interesting. So it would say, it would open up like another method that says, use this date for the next time, and then the swizzling would take care of all the, like, the underworkings of swapping out the dates when you call it. Okay. So it's, it's pretty heavy-handed, you know, when you think about it, like what's going all this machinery that's working in place. Um, and so you can't do that in Swift, because there's no Objective-C okay. runtime.
0: So are there things like this in other platforms? Like, so mock is for mocking Objective-C... Uh, units, Mm -hmm. or, you know, objects, I'm assuming. Uh, I've never played with it. What do you, like, what do you have in other platforms? Like, say, Ruby on Rails. What do you, what's, like, the framework, or is it built in, or what do you guys have there?
1: So, Ruby on Rails, I, there is a framework that's built in. I I think it's, like, mini test or or test case. I actually don't, not familiar with it, because I never really use it. I use uh, RSpec, which is the same syntax and same, like, kind of paradigms, ideas, as um, quick and nimble.
0: Oh, like a, I guess quick, I should say,
1: like the the structure of the befores, the lets, you know, the afters, like the, the matchers, it's. the matchers are nimble. Oh, oh, right.
0: So quick. Sorry, yeah, quick. So quick. So yeah, everything before the describe context mm-hmm. before each and the it,
1: the subject, all that crazy stuff. So that that's all modeled modeled after our spec.
0: Oh, cool. I love quick and nimble. By the way, yeah. I actually was out the other night uh, at a at a concert, and I just got inspired to write <laughs> a poem. Using quick okay. and nimble. Okay. I'll, I'll link to it. Um, but <laughs> basically, it's describe life, context, given chance, before each life constructed with chance constructed, um, expect, uh, oh, no, sorry, it uh, it emits any to thrive, expect life to not be nil. Okay. I'll send it to okay. you. It's nice. pre- and it was 139 characters. Wow. It's pretty good. Perfect. I'll send it to you. Um, okay, so quick and nimble, mm-hmm. or quick is off of RSpec, but is there like mocking built into RSpec?
1: Um, and this is a little bit further out of what I'm totally unsure of, but there's some part of RSpec. It might be like RSpec mock or something, but RSpec gives you there is a, an easy way to, to mock in Ruby using RSpec, right? Okay, let's just and let's keep it with that.
0: And it makes your testing like quicker and easier, or yeah,
1: it's just. It's pretty much the same, it solves the same problem that OCMock does, but it's a little bit different because of the way that Ruby objects work, and, like, are you familiar with, like, duck typing? No. So, duck typing is a Ruby, or, like, a programming idea where if it looks like a duck, and it walks like a duck, and it quacks like a duck, it's a duck.
0: Uh <laughs> whereas, like, Swift is strongly typed. Totally. It's not duckly typed.
1: Exactly. So Ruby is duckly typed. So <laughs> I know it's, I love talking about Ruby like this. So essentially you can create this mock by giving it something else entirely, as long as it responds to the same methods and you know properties that you're going to call. It's like
0: it. a protocol sort of.
1: Exactly. But it's so loosely structured that they're, that they're just like, you can create them on the fly in one line.
0: Okay. So what would, what do we have in Swift? If anything, are there any third party uh, libraries or frameworks
1: I think there are a couple, but they still rely on you to make your your Swift code inherit from NSObject and be available okay. in Objective-C. Like, I know OCMoth, okay. you can do that way.
0: So you can't really do protocol and value-type uh, pro- uh, oriented programming,
1: I guess? <sighs> I guess you could, but okay. it wouldn't be as, like, you, you couldn't use any structures. You could start there. Right. Like, okay. you know, everything is a class that inherits from NSObject, so right. you don't, you don't so have a p- purely Swift file anymore, so to speak.
0: Right. Okay, so what would, if we had, like, an ideal, you said you'd hope it could be built in, like, what would that even look like? Do you know? Have you, have you thought about <sighs>
1: that, or have you no. <laughs> tried? <laughs> That's why it's my pipe dream, because I have no idea how okay. it would work.
0: <laughs> yeah, but, like, ultimately, it would just create mocks for you. Like, you would say, give me a mock for this object. Totally. And it would just create one. Exactly okay and like do these um does something like Mock does it do like a fox type thing where it creates objects of uh, like a variety of different like types like the same let's say um a you, you know a user object but like with a different name and a different age like it changes Does it do that for you too I or does it sort of just create them so. like with default values or something
1: if i i haven't used it in a little while because i haven't written objective c in a little while but If I recall correctly, it's more of here is an empty object that you can set all those values on yourself and assert what methods get called after the fact.
0: All right. So uh, one thing I wanted to talk about, I don't know, have you tried mocking um, any of your, have you worked with CloudKit at all? I have not, no. Oh, okay. So, okay, then, I see, I was playing around with this. I'm going to have to look into it. I don't know, have you looked into mocking, like, um, services that rely on CloudKit because I'm trying to do that and like the issue I'm running into is basically like I want to test that my service is outputting um, a record a CK record right but I can't just initialize a CK record so I think what I'm having to deal with is like create a wrapper around the CK record and say that my service is outputting this record or this uh, wrapper right so uh, I I don't know, I guess I'm yeah, just gonna have to look into it more.
1: That's there's actually I have a couple blog posts um on like testing NSURL session in Swift. Okay. And one of the first articles in the in the series is how to mock objects that you don't own.
0: Oh, okay. So that's just the general concept that will be applicable.
1: I I it's it's definitely like take it with a grain of salt because it doesn't always work, but it sounds like it should work in this scenario. And it's kinda cool because the ov- Instead of creating, like, a wrapper object like you talked about, you create a protocol that the actual object conforms to with, like, an empty, you know, protocol conformance thing. And then you only interact with the app through that protocol. So, you have – the concrete implementation of the protocol is the one that Apple created. And it's o- it always just works the way it is. But you only talk to it through protocols – which means under your test, you can stub it out with a fake or a mock of that protocol, not and the actual object. And it can be anything, object. exactly.
0: Okay, I, I'm sort of doing something like that where I want to create a mock database, and uh, but I don't actually want to test Apple's, um, you know, database, right? Like my service relies on a database, so I create a, um, just a database protocol. I have CK database conform to it, empty conformance. Um, um or no, actually, I I have one method on that protocol that is the exact same signature as the CK database um, uh, perform query uh, method, and so in in um, my service, I can just say database, which it doesn't know it's a CK database. It just knows it's a database protocol perform query, and it's the exact same signature, but um, it's it's not. But it's like, it's really interesting. It's actually calling the method on the CK database because it's the same signature. It's really cool. I didn't know if it was going to work, but it did. Um, anyways, this is something kind of new I'm, I'm working with, but I'm going to look at that article. We'll link to it too in the show notes. One thing, what, one thing I want to talk about is uh, why testing, like why, uh, you know, you really enjoy testing. I, I'm into it now. I want to get better at it. I really like working with quick and nimble. It's really fun. What is it about testing? Uh, why do you like it so much? Why are you so passionate about it?
1: I have two like, big picture, like, two main reasons why I love it. Um, one is, for me, writing code, and one is, once the tests are written, what it gives you. So I want to start backwards, because I think those are the ones that are kind of more common. Having the safety net of a test suite is extremely powerful. And I think that that's underestimated until you actually have a, fully tested not fully tested like 100% coverage but a very highly tested suite of code that you can go and refactor things and not worry about other things breaking because it gives you the freedom to make these crazy changes that you would never even try without the safety net of tests and all you're doing is hurting yourself there because you're not going to refactor when you should be you know and having those tests where you can fall back on if something blows up, okay, this is failing now. I know that I need to change this. Like if you can take your code and do a refactor and run the tests and everything works and confident that you don't even have to run your app, you've got a good test suite. Like that's pretty crazy. And that and that's a, a goal that I strive for in a lot of the the Swift projects and the Rails projects that I'm working on because you just can't beat that that like feeling of I don't have to worry about if something goes wrong because I know exactly what's going to break. On the other side of it, test-driven development especially keeps me focused. It keeps me focused to a T where it feels like I'm just reading a script when I'm programming, which sounds kind of crazy. Like, why would I want to read a script? Well, if you know exactly what you have to do next, it makes you so much more productive and it's just so much easier to knock big things at like take care of these huge huge project projects or problems in small incremental pieces. Can you and give us an example of like what that looks like yeah, this script? Yeah, totally. <laughs> So the the TDD script is red, green, refactor. And what that means is write test code that makes something fail. So write a failing test first and then write the minimum amount of production code to get that test to go green and then repeat. So go back and forth, back and forth. And then when you have a little bit of code working, refactor, which means maybe I'm refactoring the test suite, maybe I'm refactoring the code, doing something just to make the code a little bit easier to read, maybe a little bit more uh, structured nicely or commenting or something. But by always taking it that single step at a time, you never get bogged down in the details. You never enter the weeds. If you're working on a simple model parsing object, you never have to worry about what happens when the network layer returns something else entirely or the network layer br- blows up. You'll handle that later. That's down further on your list. Right now, you have to worry about this exact parsing line of code. Get this to pass, move on to the next thing. Rinse and repeat.
0: What about UI testing? We didn't really talk too much about that. <laughs> um, how How is that going in... Um- in iOS and Xcode compared to other platforms. I've only worked with it a little bit. I think it's cool that you can press that record button and it'll record um, you know, action on the UI. Um, I was dealing with an issue which you were trying to help me with where we uh, were building something that was uh, not supported uh, first party. It's like uh, we wanted to add interactivity to a label, like just certain words inside of a UI label. And then we went to test it and it was we weren't able to do it like we time boxed ourselves to like maybe an hour and we we ended up building this little like function that would literally like um go to the point of where the label started and tap and then if nothing happened it would move over one pixel or one, a couple points and tap again and it would repeat and repeat over and ultimately it's like it didn't work um so, you know, I guess I'm just talking about like some of the limitations of testing, because like or of UI testing, because like you don't have access to the actual like application, like the implementation code. I don't know. So, what's your perspective on on UI testing so far in in iOS and Xcode?
1: Yeah. So, the the whole idea of it that it's black box te- black box testing, where you don't know what's going on on the inside. You you put some things into the box and some things come out, and you don't have any idea of the changes being made. I think is actually really important for a test framework that's at a UI level. Because it means that you can't go in and say, "Oh, hey controller, like why don't you do this when you're under test mode, but like not do that if you're under not under test mode?" Cuz all of a sudden you're testing things that don't happen in the real world app. And you're not, you know, you're not fooling anyone and you're not getting any benefit besides writing more code, which is not good. So, in theory, I think that that's really great. In practice, however, you can't always create an app that is 100% black box. You just can't do it. Like You need to stub out the server sometimes. You need to stub out the endpoints or the user model and in very certain scenarios. And I think that UI testing is is very limiting with that and would benefit from a little more polish in terms of what could be changed when you're running under test mode and like different ways of stubbing out network requests, for instance.
0: So I think like in our that example I mentioned, like you don't even have access to, let's say, particular words or strings inside of a label. You just have access to like that label and the entire static text. And you can't say like, OK, find the, the label with the words. Um, this is a label. And now find the word is inside of that label and then tap that word like I, you can't do that. And do you think that if you were able to do something like that, that is like opening up the black box too much?
1: I don't think so. I think that that's still on a UI level. Like the user can see that, you know? The user can see that the is letter, word, is in between those two other words. And that doesn't feel like implementation details at all to me. I think that that touches on like a whole other point of just even what they give you, even what Apple gives you, is still too limiting in terms of interacting with the app from the highest level. So maybe it has
0: of, room to grow.
1: I think it does. I think it's a great start. I, I think it's they have the right syntax down for selecting things and how it works with, with uh, accessibility. I think that's really great. But i I have a hard time using it in production apps, to be totally honest, because it's so limiting. And because just of how long they take to run unfortunately.
0: So, oh, they do take a little while. It's definitely faster than, you know, doing it manually. Um, but, so you mentioned something about accessibility. That is really cool. It seems like um, all of the UI testing uh, framework was built on top of accessibility, which I think is really cool because then it forces you to implement accessibility. Things like the accessibility label equals, I think it's, it's right, like you would say that this label's accessibility label is this string. I think so when, like, the with when an excessive when a user um, that uses accessibility type features like clicks on that or something it would like say this is the uh, date label like right or it would say whatever that string is I think something like that
1: some yeah I think that you know there's though that specific example is just a perfect overall idea of what more things could be added to this if they like either open sourced it or even just, like, talked about their plan moving forward with it.
0: Yeah, So, but that just goes to say, like, it's really cool because it kind of forces you or it encourages you, gives you incentive to implement accessibility features, which Apple is, like, really um, gung-ho about. Um, I want to kind of quickly go back to my example and say, ultimately, we were telling um, our UI UX people, like, look, we probably shouldn't be doing this um, interactive label because it's not supported first party it's more of a web thing right like clickable words is more of a web thing and it just it's reinforced when you go to test it right like it's not testable because it's not really something that's supported so i just wanted to kind of mention that um but uh, i also wanted to um let's see ask you about fb snapshot test case i think it's called have you heard of this
1: Mm -hmm. yeah from facebook yeah
0: have you worked with that at all or do you know anything about that
1: I know a little bit about it. I've never worked with it directly, but I, I think that's just like a whole other type of testing. If I if I understand correctly, it's like you show you go to a certain point in your app and like take a snapshot of what the screen looks like, and then you need to replicate that screenshot in a certain way. And if you repeat those actions and the screenshot isn't exactly the same, something went wrong.
0: Right. Yeah, that's my understanding of it, too. I haven't played with it, but when you do the pod lib create uh, to create a a CocoaPod, like that script, it will ask you, like, do you want to do UI testing? And if you say yes, it'll um, automatically, um, you know, import, I guess, the pod FB snapshot test case. But, um, yeah, I thought that was really interesting because, yeah, you're right. Like, uh, that's the thing with UI testing is, like, maybe your test pass, your UI test pass, but you still need an eye, like a visual eye, because some things might just not look right. And I think that's what the test case, FB snapshot test case, kind of solves. Yeah. It's really cool.
1: Yeah, I think that no matter what level of testing you have and how great that your test suite is, it's never going to replace a team or a person who's actually using your app and testing it for all the little nuances.
0: So what would you say to somebody who is you know, just starting out, maybe they're even six months to a year, like when do you think that is, uh, they should start uh, learning to uh, write tests for their app?
1: I think that testing should be learned just as quickly as you can wrap your head around it. Um, I know that's not an exact date or time, but I find that it's a really valuable tool in learning because i can write a quick test let's say i'm learning the icloud syncing right i can write a quick xc test case and say okay i create this object i send it to the icloud thing and the icloud set a breakpoint what is the you know what does it return or i i think it's going to return this let me make an assertion that it does that it's a really cool way to just kind of play around with new frameworks without having to really worry about getting all the scaffolding up and running and I use that all the time to try out new things. It's kind of like my own little command line, but I'm on a test suite. And it's great because I'm I'm in a test scenario, so I don't have to worry about, like, launching the app every time or clicking to something or triggering something from a button. I'm also, you know, if I set a breakpoint, I can use the, the console, no, you know no problem, and poke around with some things even more. But I think that's a really valuable tool that I kind of abuse testing for. And... The best part is, like, when you finish it, sometimes those tests are good enough to keep and make sure that what you're testing actually works the right way. So you kind of get two birds, you know, the one stone there. And I I do that all the time.
0: That's interesting. I never thought about that, like, using test cases as uh, a way to play around with new frameworks. Like, why is that possible? What's the difference between a test case or, like, a test case file or whatever that environment is, like the build environment of the scheme or whatever it is, versus, like, an app that makes it easier to just like quickly get up and running and, uh, I don't know, test like a, a, yeah. a web service or something like that? What's the difference?
1: I think that the difference is is speed. Like you you open up your app right now, even if it's not that big, you, do, you hit the run button, you do command R. From the time you hit command R to the time you actually can click something on the screen, if you have a really good machine, it's probably still 10 seconds sometimes, right?
0: Okay, because that's has a build, and then it has to launch, and then, yeah, okay. Totally.
1: And then, let's say you buried this, like, test case, four screens down. Right. Okay, you got to click that screen, maybe type in a username and password, click around, whatever. Yeah, you could change your app that, while you're testing, launch the screen immediately, but what if there's a dependency? Like, you know, it starts snowballing. Okay. With your test case, it's just a test. Like, there's nothing, there's no baggage, essentially. You run your test, it builds your test suite because it probably doesn't have to build your app at all because it's already compiled. And it's just doing an incremental build with the test suite. So it's only one file. It's going to take really quick to build. It's going to run your code, and you're going to have output in like the time it takes to actually launch the simulator. And when you're playing around with something new or, or trying that, I think that sm- short, tight feedback loops are really important, and this really helps with that.
0: When we're doing our UI automation, we're you know actually logging in and hitting the network. But when we do... Our unit tests. I don't know if we're actually ever hitting the network. Um, are you are, are you ever in a situation where you're finding that you like can you actually hit the network and do asynchronous testing like with unit tests? And are you ever in a situation where you're finding that you want to do that or need to do that?
1: Uh, the second post in my testing NSURL session talks about this. <laughs> uh, it's like it's exactly do I hit the network? How do asynchronous tests work? What's a good way to do it? Um, to summarize it without giving away all the details pretty much i never let the unit test hit the network in any way shape or form and i try to flatten anything that's asynchronous into a, a flat callback stack right like a so a there's no waiting yeah exactly there's no waiting there's no asynchronous going on it's just all flat and i use that i i achieve that with lots of mocks and mocks that Call completion blocks and stuff. And
0: the reason is, like, we don't want to actually test that the net that it's hitting the network or that the network's working. Right, that's like all hardware things that Apple. um, Okay. Okay. Interesting. All right. So those
1: tests are going to be slow.
0: Right. And that's the benefit of like unit testing is they run super fast.
1: Exactly. And I can take my laptop to a coffee shop and if I don't have Wi-Fi, I can run all my tests and nothing matters. You know, I'm not dependent on a network connectivity or slow Wi-Fi or like having to type in my like a weird password to Time Warner because like that Wi-Fi box popped up, you know, they all just run locally.
0: So when you're just starting out, you know, you have to learn Swift, you have to learn Xcode, you have to learn UI kit, you have to learn like how to read the documentation, you have to learn like NBC um, there's at least, like, five big things you have to learn. Um, would you say that for some people, maybe they could use testing as, like, a, a sixth sixth thing or, like, an additional thing um, to help them learn or that they should start learning it? Like, my feeling is uh, there's just so much to learn already that, like, I would put it off and and, and you know, wait until maybe a year or something down the line or mm-hmm. whenever you're ready. I mean, it sounds like you said if you can do it, but, like, what's your... What's your sort of feeling on that?
1: I think it's a it's a tough balance, you know. Do you do you wanna be producing quote and getting stuff out the door and like learning all the frameworks? Or do you wanna have code that you know is working and reliable and maintainable? And sometimes those the goal like both of those aren't weighted the same way. Sometimes your side project doesn't need tests because you're gonna throw it out in like a month or two. But your, you know, your production app that's going to be existing for like beer menus for six years, eight years, you probably want a solid test suite for that thing.
0: Right. So, yeah, I guess it depends on your goals. Like if you're just trying to get an app out the door, you're just trying to learn to build this app. um you know, maybe it doesn't matter, but if you're, maybe you're trying to learn to get a job at a place like Pivotal or something, yeah. maybe they would be impressed that you already have a little bit of testing knowledge.
1: I th- And I think that if you looked at two candidates and one knew how to test and one didn't, the choice is pretty obvious.
0: Yeah, really interesting. So, yeah, I guess it depends on your goals. Um, real quick, because we are at the end, but I wanted to ask you, have you, it sounded like you have started playing a little bit with Swift on the server? Oh, no. <laughs> okay. I've only played with it a little bit. Um... So are you are you following it all like swift open source or anything like as that? As much
1: as I can, it's a little little noisy right now, I think.
0: Right. But um and it's a lot of like language like super like people who are really into languages and writing languages it seems like.
1: Yeah, I I think like overall the discussions are just great that they're happening out in the public and everyone has input. I yeah. I personally don't make the time to read through all of it, not because I don't care but because I don't have strong opinions on a lot of these things and until I start using them, you know, and yeah. that's really hard to say like, oh, well, I think the re- the great rename sh- should have worked this way instead of that way. But it is really great that if someone if I complain about something, even internal or on like a Slack team, they can be like, oh, well, actually, this was talked about in detail and why it's better. And here's like 30 people that support it. And here's the whole proposal as to why it's better than what we're doing now. I think that's really powerful.
0: Right on. All right, so we are at the end. I have a couple things I want to do before we uh, before we go. The uh, first is where can people contact you online, if at all?
1: Yeah, so my Twitter is just at Joe Masalati, and I blog about testing and Swift and all that stuff on com. Cool,
0: and we'll be sure to link uh, to that in the show notes. And it sounds like if people have questions, especially if they relate to a testing, that you might be the man to go to.
1: Totally. Yeah, feel free to message me on Twitter or at, mes- at mention me. Um, I'm pretty active on the testing tag, I guess, on Stack Overflow as well, but yeah, feel, f- oh, feel cool. free to reach out, and my email address is on the website, so email oh, me too.
0: That's That's right. Actually, we were, I can't remember what it was, but we were researching something (laughs) and you know, and it was testing related and I would see your name and I kept telling my pair, I was like, yep, this is, (laughs) this is the guy Joe that I was telling (laughs) you about. I'm going to be interviewing him soon. It's like, yeah, it's really cool. Um, okay. And the, the last thing I want to talk about, it's, um, you know, it's one piece of advice for people learning Swift and it's like, I just remember when I was first starting out, like I was like trying to always read blog posts and like listen to podcast episodes and watch videos and like write code. And and it's like, it's just like, what can I do? You know, what can I do right now to like get to where I want to go? I remember having this kind of like desperate feeling. Um, and uh, so it's kind of like, what is something, what should people be focusing on right now Um, to improve their skills or to get wherever, where they're going. So it's just like one piece of advice for people learning Swift.
1: I think that what personally helped me a lot was having a passion project that was just out of scope of what I was comfortable with and building that. So I, you know, when I talked about building the Cheats app or the beer app or anything on my side projects, it's always just a little too complicated that I think I can handle right now. And because I'm so passionate about the product and what the goal is of building it, it motivates me to learn whatever I need to learn to actually write that code. And if you can translate that to just learning anything, I think that's super valuable. But like you said, there are hundreds of blogs out there now. There are infinite resources almost on Swift. And I think that they serve better when you're Googling for an answer rather than reading someone's blog straight through.
0: Right. Yeah, totally. Especially if you're that type of learner, you know, someone that like learns by something in concrete like solving a problem like I am, for sure. And so having a passion project like that will guide that learning totally. I think that's a great exa- uh, great idea or piece of advice. That's exactly what I say on that guide is like if you can find a passion project to keep you motivated and keep you going, it's the best way to learn. I think there's a lot of people out there that are doing that. So if that's you, if you have an app that you're passionate about, you want to, you know, an app idea that you want to create, you know, let that guide your learning. And um, don't focus on all the noise out there. Focus on like, what do you need to learn to achieve um, each little bit of your application? Right on. Yeah, thank you for that. All right, Joe. Well, thank you so much for coming on the show today for sharing your story with us. Uh, you know, growing up in New York, and uh, it sounded like you know you didn't start really programming until high school or college. And then you were like, but you're actually like, it was kind of all a side thing. And you were doing this information technology like uh, factory manager sort of optimizer and then interning at a bank and then uh, but falling in love with iOS and then working at Pivotal and, you know, getting passionate about testing and doing the Cheats app. And uh, now you're at Beer Menus helping people uh, find the beer that they want to drink. Uh, I love beer, so thank you for, thank you for making that. So, yeah, thank you for sharing that story with us. and and all your advice, and your tips, and uh, yeah, I just uh, appreciate you coming on, and doing what you do, you know, especially like having that um, reference for the XC test case before there was one officially from Apple, and yeah, just doing your thing, because it's really important, um, the work that you're doing, uh, especially, uh, you know, to have someone like you that's passionate about testing, you know, to anytime there's a question, I know I can probably come to you, and you would probably have a better answer than I might find anywhere else so yeah thank you so much
1: yeah well, well thanks thanks for having me this was a blast I definitely encourage anyone who is curious about testing or pairing like you know remote pairing is possible and if you're in New York you know happy to have a coffee or a beer and, and chat about whatever uh strikes your fancy
0: all right that's great all right well I look forward to talking with you again maybe uh in person maybe I'll come to New York one day and we'll uh, we'll meet up that'd be great And that's the show, ladies and gentlemen. I hope you enjoyed listening to the Swift Coders podcast. Feel free to share the show with a friend, leave a review on iTunes, or recommend us on Overcast. If you have any questions, comments, or just want to say hi, contact me on Twitter. Until next time, go swiftly, my friends.